Y'all, we are going live on April 18th in New York City, the Big Apple. Passing Through is coming to the stage with four incredible storytellers in an intimate space. There's going to be real-ass conversation, real-ass questions, and wine. What more could you possibly want? To purchase tickets, you can just go to eventbrite.com and type in Passing Through Live, or you can go to passingthroughpodcast.com forward slash live and purchase tickets there. To apply to be one of the four storytellers that grace the stage, just go to passingthroughpodcast.com forward slash live and click apply now. I'm so excited to see you guys April 18th in New York City. Get your tickets as soon as possible. They're going to go fast. It's an intimate space. And now I'll leave you. Don't worry. We can get back to the show. Here's episode five of Passing Through, season two. In episode five of season two, I talk about my first trip back to Nigeria. I grew up around Nigerians, and I am Nigerian, but I had never been to Nigeria. This is an episode about how foreign places are not always unfamiliar. I hope you guys enjoy episode five of season two, Passing Through Nigeria. Meh, do you remember me? An elderly uncle asks, limply holding your hand in theirs, inspecting your face through opaque bifocals. Did you say hello to your auntie? Your dad asks, aggressively pointing to a sea full of people who all identify as your auntie. Nah, Biko, get more chin chin. Orders an older cousin nodding towards a busy kitchen brimming with galets, stewing with stockfish and slimy okra soup. From a young age, I was primed to adhere to Nigerian cultural norms before ever stepping foot in the country. Like, for instance, children should be seen and not heard. Although if you've ever been to a Nigerian function, you've both seen and heard the stampede of frosting-faced kids evading their mother's loose grasps to join a gang of namesakes raining terror on the venue. Or respect your elders, even if it's Uncle Ebuka who's historically allergic to employment lecturing you on becoming a doctor, engineer, or pharmacist. Or how about straight A's or die? A Nigerian educational norm that never worked in my favor, especially when report cards were sent home. During the week of deliverance, the minute the tires came to a screeching halt on that scary multicultural bus in episode two, I'd look around like I was on some black ops call of duty mission, run to the mailbox and flip through a stack of envelopes trying to find literally anything with my name on it. There was actually a time when I intercepted my ticket to an automatic ass whooping hours before my parents came home. I took a black pen and thick pink eraser and tried to turn a C plus into an A. I spent a good 20 minutes grating the edge of the eraser so vigorously into the paper that I formed a little hill of rubber in the living room. Growing up, I knew on a visceral level I was Nigerian. I was surrounded by the language, traditions, food, music functions, and close-knit family relationships, but I never thought much about my association with the country itself. Home was wherever Nigerians were, not necessarily a specific place on a map. At 23, fresh off my first trip back to my mother's land, Cambodia, in a decade, I was curious to see what parts of my being resided in Nigeria. So often it's the things closest to us that we cease to examine and question, our family's history and culture being one of them. On a random Thursday afternoon, I ripped a piece of paper from my turquoise moleskin and gently knocked on my dad's office. Hey, Nate, what's up? He asked. I just finished rereading, things fall apart, and had a couple context questions surrounding certain Igbo words and traditions. 
My dad took the piece of paper and began drawing our compound. This is where the Nadis live, over here are the Wosus, he continued, labeling the buildings by family name. Two hours later, we were still sitting, chatting, and chronicling our family history. My mind ran wild with the richness and story and all of the details I had yet to collect. I could tell it sparked a new light in my dad as well. He had to go back, but with us this time. Do you have your approvals for visa on arrival? Asked the airline clerk peering over the cat-like corners of her sleek black glasses. Yes, we do. Just one minute, my dad replied, fumbling through a pyramid of papers packed neatly into a manila folder. She stretched her short, compact arm over the counter to clasp two letters stating that we were visiting our father's land for business purposes, with no intention on staying past our due. Perfect, she said, handing back our papers, signaling for the first bag to be placed on the scale. We had one stop on the way to Lagos, the former capital of Nigeria and most densely populated city in Africa. But I'm convinced on our first layover, we are already in Nigeria. Typically, when you arrive at your gate, you see rows of seats peppered with people stretched out on different devices, patiently awaiting their flights. Podiums adorn the destination in bright white text on blue screens accompanied by the flight number and departure time. Walking up to the flight to Lagos, I could hear the gate before I saw it. The air hung heavy with ripe smells of spices, bitter leaf, and unadulterated body odor. A few healthy Buhari debates were happening at full vocal capacity, men flailing their arms in frustration over their counterparts' points, drawing their arguments with ossified fingers, chopping their words with an imaginary knife for emphasis. Women in colorful wrappers paced the waiting area, unpacking and repacking various gifts for family and friends upon arrival. Ringtones detonated at full volume like firecrackers on the 4th of July, briefly eclipsing whispers in strange, beautiful languages, vastly different from my family's familiar Igbo, but spoken with similar strength and inflection. We grabbed some empty seats across from our gate and set down our things. The flight to Lagos, Nigeria will begin boarding in approximately 20 minutes, announced the agent. She could tell she made a mistake by the look on her face when she set down the mic. Half the rows rushed to the podium, forming a thick cluster of bodies that she was tasked to somehow mold into a line. I pulled out my phone to jot down some quick observations. Feels like every aunt, uncle, and cousin I've ever met are at the boarding gate, I typed. Man in all beige corduroy suit, open-toed sandals yelling and gesturing strongly at man in white kaftan about cutting him in line. There is no line, lol. Gate agent is in over her head, has told passengers to take a seat until she calls the first zone. Someone sucked their teeth, another laughed, and continued talking on phone, but no one flinched. There's already no place for passivity and we haven't even left Atlanta. Yo, welcome, sung a stout woman in a freshly pressed blouse and army green beret. I smiled, slightly confused because I never said thank you. She handed back my yellow vaccination paper, ushering me towards the labyrinth of individuals waiting in the visitor's line. A handful of people broke into a light jog walk to beat the opponent next to them in an unmoving queue. There really is this overt sense of urgency amongst Nigerians. Even if you're hurrying up to wait, you better hurry up or someone will take your place. The only thing that survives at a slow pace in the city is the traffic. Neka odum? The passport officer asked, squinting. The letters tumbling off his tongue with a familiarity I'm often starved of in the States. He glanced at my photo, then me, then back to my photo, showing just enough restraint to not ask if my mother was white. He paused for what felt like an eternity, raised both eyebrows, and said, Gedu? Adima, I replied, letting out a sigh of relief. You're welcome.
My uncle Inno met us at baggage claim dressed head to toe in army fatigue. Literally. He had on a tight black shirt that yelled army in bold yellow type, a camo hat, camo pants, and two silver dog tags dangled neatly from his neck. Ne, this is Naija. They don't respect the police, only the army. Before I could even motion towards my bag, an energetic attendant in light blue shirt nudged me to the side. Is this your bag, ma? He asked, already hoisting it off the conveyor belt. Yes, it- Okay, come, come. I will find the other ones. We will find you a car. Like bees, these boys in light blue swarmed the area, forcefully helping people with their bags. Even those who vehemently opposed. I literally saw a woman yell, Uh-uh. Are you vexing? Leave me, I beg. As she swung her purse at the attendant's head, nearly knocking him out. Which still didn't stop him from helping her wheel her luggage towards the door. My sister, what do you have for me? Asked my unsolicited personal attendant, wiping beads of sweat from his brow. My uncle swooped in, stuffing 500 naira in the guy's hand while simultaneously shooing him away. My attendant frowned, arguing his value until we passed through the arrival gates. I could almost taste the humidity. Thick, sticky, and soothing. Sweat quickly seeping into every sliver of exposed skin. Hamilton coated the atmosphere in a matte layer of apricot orange, forging the first memories of my father's land in a dreamy sepia. We loaded what seemed like 50 bags into a van and made our way to the hotel. Ne, my uncle shouted. Welcome home. There's no proper description for Goslo. An entire science fiction trilogy could be written on or in traffic in Lagos. Throw away whatever prim and proper shit driving school taught you, watch Mad Max and the Matrix Revolution's car chase, but add 100,000 more vehicles to the scene and you have driving in Lagos. Post-apocalyptic yellow minivans act as public transportation. Conductors dangle from car openings, cramming in as many passengers as possible. Cars nearly kiss with every twist and turn as hawkers delicately weave through a maze of vehicles while balancing crowns of groundnuts, refreshments, and water. With time, you learn there is, in fact, a method to the madness. But if you don the freshly peeled eyes of a tourist, it just looks like madness. Almost three hours later, we arrived at our hotel. Two solicited attendants rushed to assist us with our bags while my dad checked us in. You all must be hungry, my uncle assessed. Let's grab a quick bite because the minute you shut your eyes, we gotta be up again. We leave for a wary in the morning and we have to be at the airport by 4am. Uncle, isn't our flight at 10? I asked, glancing at my phone. Nah, eh, this is not Michigan, he said laughing. I hurtled up a flight of stairs, swiped my keycard to room 201 and plopped my entire body on the freshly dressed mattress. Oh damn, the Wi-Fi password, I thought, rolling over to type in the code printed on a tiny piece of scrap paper. A stream of text messages flooded my phone, some from friends and a few from Cam, my newly appointed ex-boyfriend. Hey, your makeup bag is still at my house, might be in your city tomorrow, I could drop it off, he wrote. I'm out of the country right now, but my sister's at the house, you could leave it with her, I replied. Never mind, I shouldn't be the one dropping anything off, if you don't pick it up this weekend, it's getting tossed, he replied. Cam, what the entire fuck is your problem, I began to type right before NEPA took light and thus the Wi-Fi. NEPA being the unreliable National Electric Power Authority of Nigeria that provides citizens with an inconsistent supply of power and electricity. Hence why the saying goes, NEPA takes light rather than gives it. Shit, NEPA must have known I was texting an ex and decided to stop me from saying something unforgivable. The last thing I remembered is angrily sitting down in a pitch black room and dozing off until I heard a military style knock on the door and my uncle yelling it's time to go. 
The flight to Awera in southeastern Nigeria was short and sweet. The pace of the south is slower, the air cleaner, the greenery dense and luscious. Our village resides just a few hours from the city, so we left our luggage at the hotel, headed out almost immediately to be there and back before dusk. I cracked my window letting in the sounds of rumbling motors, market haggles, and children playing. My dad and uncle sat in the front joking in Igbo, a sweet moment between two siblings I've slowly learned to appreciate. My dad recalls never living under the same roof at the same time with his five brothers and sisters. As close as they were today, they were still in the process of building new memories, still learning about one another and growing with grace. They pointed to a group of young boys sitting on a curb in town, shoulder to shoulder naming the make and models of cars as they sailed by. Nah, you see those boys? That was us when we were small. They laughed. My uncle cranked up a mix of Afrobeats with a few fella classics mixed in as our jeep jolted back and forth avoiding hordes of potholes and people. I'm pretty sure my uncle at one point ran over an entire keke, the annoyingly cute yellow miniature taxis that monopolized the road. The closer we got to the village, the more sparse the vehicles and people and the more thick the vegetation. A wave of anticipation flooded my stomach when my dad pointed to the compound gates. The jeep let out four long honks before the iron doors screeched open. A handful of curious cousins encircled the car to see who or what was going to come out. My great aunt jumped, clapped, and sang from her porch as everyone curiously made their way out of their houses to greet us. The warmth, the love I felt was overwhelming. Family members I'd only known in photos, welcoming us in the flesh. I walked around the compound, snapping pictures, chasing kids, documenting as much as I could. Cousins walked me through my late grandmother's garden, pointing out plump patches planted long ago. My uncle Aloysius, strong and regal at 102, posed for a portrait against a backdrop of banana leaves. We sat under the shade of orange trees, swapping stories, sipping palm wine in my aunt's front yard. Those were moments I couldn't simply get from going to a wedding or family function in the States. I was finally understanding why Nigeria couldn't be explained. It had to be experienced. I've been back several times since my first trip, sometimes with my parents and other times without them. Finding my footing in the Jaga Jaga of Naija is nuanced. It's equal parts ridiculously fun and frustrating, but it's a relationship worth cultivating. As we get older, it's so fundamentally important to form a relationship with people, places, and culture that doesn't solely rely on someone else. Yes, our parents might show us the way, but we have to build the bridge. Older generations will pass and will be left with whatever aspects of culture we choose to preserve and protect. After barely making it past check-in, a sturdy woman in sand-colored army fatigue weighed me towards the departure gates. Neka Odum, the passport officer asked, squinting. He glanced at my photo, then me, then back at my photo. In disbelief that I was, in fact, Nigerian. He handed back my passport, studying my face with a slight smile. Is your mother white? He asked. Guys, thank you so much for listening to episode five of season two. Remember, the big announcement passing through is going live in New York City, April 18th. Tickets are now on sale. You're one of the first to know because you're subscribed or you just randomly fell upon this podcast and decided to click it. But either way, eventbrite.com, just type in passing through live or you can go to the website passingthroughpodcast.com backslash live. 
I really look forward to seeing you guys. And you can apply to be a storyteller as well on the actual website, which is the passingthroughpodcast.com backslash live. You can click the apply now button to be one of the four storytellers that grace the stage. It is an amazing opportunity for you to share your story. We're going to be in a great space. There's going to be wine. I really look forward to seeing you guys there. Every review, every like counts. I appreciate y'all.